Book One, Chapter Two, Part Four of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He found himself wondering how it was that a girl in Hilma's position should be able to keep herself so pretty, so trim, so clean and feminine, but he reflected that her work was chiefly in the dairy, and even there of the lightest order. She was on the ranch more for the sake of being with her parents than from any necessity of employment. Vaguely he seemed to understand that in that great new land of the West, in the open-air healthy life of the ranches, where the conditions of earning a livinghood were of the easiest, refinement among the younger women was easily to be found, not the refinement of education nor culture, but the natural intuitive refinement of the woman not as yet defiled and crushed out by the sordid, strenuous life-struggle of overpopulated districts. It was the original, intended, and natural delicacy of an elemental existence, close to nature, close to life, close to the great kindly earth. As Hilma laid the table spread, her arms open to their widest reach, the white cloth setting a little glisten of reflected light underneath the chin, Annixter stirred in his place uneasily. <clears throat> oh, it's uh, you, is it, Miss Hilma? he remarked, for the sake of saying something. Good morning. How do you do? Good morning, sir, she answered, looking up, resting for a moment on her outspread palms. I hope you are better. Her voice was low in pitch and of a velvety huskiness, seeming to come more from her chest than from her throat. Well, uh, I'm some better growled Annixter. Then suddenly he demanded, "'Where's that dog?' A decrepit Irish setter sometimes made his appearance in and about the ranch house, sleeping under the bed and eating when any one about the place thought to give him a plate of bread. Annixter had no particular interest in the dog. For weeks at a time he ignored its existence. It was not his dog. But today it seemed as if he could not let the subject rest.' For no reason that he could explain, even to himself, he recurred to it continually. He questioned Hilma minutely about the dog. Who owned him? How old did she think he was? Did she imagine the dog was sick? Where had he got to? Maybe he had crawled off to die somewhere. He recurred to the subject all through the meal. Apparently he could talk of nothing else. And as she finally went away after clearing off the table, he went on to the porch and called after her. Uh, say, uh, Miss Hilma. Yes, sir. If that dog turns up again, uh, you let me know. Very well, sir. Annixter returned to the dining room and sat down in the chair he had just vacated. To hell with that dog, he muttered, enraged. He could not tell why. When at length he allowed his attention to wander from Hilma Tree, he found that he had been staring fixedly at a thermometer upon the wall opposite, and this made him think that it had long been his intention to buy a fine barometer, an instrument that could be accurately depended on. But the barometer suggested the present condition of the weather and the likelihood of rain. In such case, much was to be done in the way of getting the seed ready and overhauling his plows and drills. He had not been away from the house in two days. It was time to be up and doing. He determined to put in the afternoon taking a look around and have a late supper. He would not go to Los Muertos. He would ignore Magnus Derrick's invitation. 
possibly, though it might be well to run over and see what was up. If I do, he said to himself, I'll ride the buckskin. The buckskin was a half-broken bronco that fought like a fiend under the saddle until the quirt and spur brought her to her senses. But Annixter remembered that the tree's cottage next the dairy house looked out upon the stables, and perhaps Hilma would see him while he was mounting the horse and be impressed with his courage. Huh, <laughs> grunted Annixter under his breath. I should like to see that fool Delaney try to bust that bronc. That's what I'd like to see. However, as Annixter stepped from the porch of the ranch house, he was surprised to notice a gray haze over all the sky. The sunlight was gone. There was a sense of coolness in the air. The weather vane on the barn, a fine golden trotting horse with flamboyant mane and tail, was veering in a southwest wind. Evidently the expected rain was close at hand. Annixter crossed over to the stables, and reflecting that he could ride the buckskin to the tree's cottage and tell Hilma that he would not be home for supper, the conference at Los Muertos would be an admirable excuse for this, and upon the spot he resolved to go over to the Derrick Ranch house after all. As he passed the tree's cottage, he observed with satisfaction that Hilma was going to and fro in the front room. If he busted the buckskin in the yard before the stable, she could not help but see. Annixter found the stableman in the back of the barn, greasing the axles of the buggy, and ordered him to put the saddle on the buckskin. "'Why, well, I don't think she's here, sir,' answered the stableman, glancing into the stalls. "'No, I remember now. Delaney took her out just after dinner. His other horse went lame, and he wanted to go down by the long trestle to mend the fence. He started out, but had to come back.' "'Oh, Delaney got her, did he?' "'Yes, sir. He had a circus with her, but he busted her right enough. "'When it comes to horse, Delaney can wipe the eye of any cattle puncher in the country, I guess.' "'Oh, he can, can he?' observed Annixter. "'Then, after a silence, "'Well, all right, Billy, put my saddle on whatever you've got here. "'I'm going over to Los Muertos this afternoon. "'Want to look out for the rain, Mr. Annixter,' remarked Billy. "'Guess we'll have rain before night.' "'I'll uh, take a rubber coat,' answered Annixter. "'Bring the horse up to the ranch house when you're ready.' Annixter returned to the house to look for his rubber coat in deep disgust, not permitting himself to glance toward the dairy house and the tree's cottage. But as he reached the porch he heard the telephone ringing his call. It was Presley who rang up from Los Muertos. He had heard from Harran that Annixter was, perhaps, coming over that evening. If he came, would he mind bringing over his, Presley's, bicycle? He had left it at the Quien Sabe Ranch the day before, and had forgotten to come back that way for it. "'Well,' objected Annixter, a surly note in his voice, "'I was going to ride over.' "'Oh, never mind, then,' returned Presley easily. "'I was to blame for forgetting it. Don't bother about it.' I'll come over some of these days and get it myself. Annixter hung up the transmitter with a vehement wrench and stamped out of the room, banging the door. He found his rubber coat hanging in the hallway and swung into it with a fierce movement of the shoulders that all but started the seams. Everything seemed to conspire to thwart him. It was just like that absent-minded crazy poet Presley to forget his wheel. Well, he could come after it himself. He, Annixter, would ride some horse, anyhow. 
When he came out upon the porch, he saw the wheel leaning against the fence where Presley had left it. If it stayed there much longer, the rain would catch it. Annixter ripped out an oath. At every moment his ill-humor was increasing. Yet for all that, he went back to the stable, pushing the bicycle before him, and countermanded his order, directing the stableman to get the buggy ready. He himself carefully stowed Presley's bicycle under the seat, covering it with a couple of empty sacks and a tarpaulin carriage cover. While he was doing this, the stableman uttered an exclamation and paused in the act of backing the horse into the shafts, holding up a hand, listening. From the hollow roof of the barn and from the thick velvet-like padding of dust over the ground outside, and from among the leaves of the few nearby trees and plants, there came a vast, monotonous murmur that seemed to issue from all quarters of the horizon at once, a prolonged and subdued rustling sound, steady, even, persistent. "'There's your rain,' announced the stableman. "'The first of the season.' "'And I've got to be out in it,' fumed Annixter. "'And I suppose those swine will quit work on the big barn now.' When the buggy was finally ready, he put on his rubber coat, climbed in, and, without waiting for the stableman to raise the top, drove out into the rain, a new-lit cigar in his teeth. As he passed the dairy house, he saw Hilma standing in the doorway, holding out her hand to the rain, her face turned upward toward the gray sky, amused and interested in this first shower of the wet season. She was so absorbed that she did not see Annixter, and his clumsy nod in her direction passed unnoticed. She did it on purpose, Annixter told himself, chewing fiercely on his cigar. Cuts me now, hmm? Well, this does settle it. She leaves this ranch before I'm a day older. He decided that he would put off his tour of inspection till the next day. Traveling in the buggy as he did, he must keep to the road which led to Derrick's in a very roundabout fashion by way of Guadalajara. This rain would reduce the thick dust of the road to two feet of viscid mud. It would take him quite three hours to reach the ranch house on Los Muertos. He thought of Delaney and the buckskin and ground his teeth. And all this trouble, if you please because of a fool female girl. A fine way for him to waste his time. Well, now he was done with it. His decision was taking now. She would pack. Steadily the rain increased. There was no wind. The thick veil of wet descended straight from sky to earth, blurring distant outlines, spreading a vast sheen of gray over all the landscape, its volume became greater. The prolonged murmuring note took on a deeper tone. At the gate to the road, which led across Dyke's hop fields toward Guadalajara, Annixter was obliged to descend and raise the top of his buggy. In doing so, he caught the flesh of his hand in the joint of the iron elbow that supported the top and pinched it cruelly. It was the last misery, the culmination of a long train of wretchedness. On the instant, he hated Ilma Tree so fiercely that his sharply set teeth all but bit his cigar in two. While he was grabbing and wrenching at the buggy top, the water from his hat brim dripping down upon his nose, the horse, restive under the drench of the rain, moved uneasily. Hey, you! he shouted, inarticulate with exasperation. You, you, wiggle at that hole you. Whoa, you! But there was an interruption. Delaney, 
riding the buckskin, came around a bend in the road at a slow trot, and Annixter, getting into the buggy again, found himself face to face with him. "'Why, hello, Mr. Annixter,' said he, pulling up. "'Kind of sort of wet, isn't it?' Annixter, his face suddenly scarlet, sat back in his place abruptly, exclaiming, "'Oh, oh there you are, are you?' "'I've been down there,' explained Delaney, with a motion of his head toward the railroad, "'to mend that break in the fence by the long trestle. Now, "'I thought while I was about it I'd follow down along the fence toward Guadalajara "'and see if there were any more breaks, but I guess it's all right.' "'Oh, you guess it's all right, do you?' observed Annixter through his teeth. "'Why, why yes,' returned the other, bewildered at the truculent ring in Annixter's voice. I mended that break by the long trestle just now, and— Well, why didn't you mend it a week ago? shouted Annixter wrathfully. I've been looking for you all morning, I have. And who told you you could take that buckskin? And the sheep were all over the right-of-way last night because of that break. And here that filthy Pip S. Behrman comes down here this morning and wants to make trouble for me. Suddenly he cried out, What do I feed you for? What do I keep you around here for? Think it's just to fatten up your carcass, huh? Why, Mr. Annixter, began Delaney. And don't talk to me, vociferated the other, exciting himself with his own noise. Don't you say a word to me even to apologize. If I've spoken to you once about that break, I've spoken fifty times. Why, sir, declared Delaney, beginning to get indignant. The sheep did it themselves last night. I told you not to talk to me, clamored Annixter. But, but say, look here. Get off the ranch. You get off the ranch. And taking that buckskin against my express orders, I won't have your kind about the place. Not much. I'm easy going enough, Lord knows. But I don't propose to be imposed on all the time. Pack off, you understand, and do it lively. Go to the foreman and tell him I told him to pay you off and then clear out. And you hear me, he concluded with a menacing outthrust of his lower jaw. You hear me, if I catch you hanging around the ranch house after this, or if I so much as see you on King Sabe, I'll show you the way off of it, my friend, at the toe of my boot. Now then, get out of the way and let me pass. Angry beyond the power of retort, Delaney drove the spurs into the buckskin and passed the buggy in a single bound. Annixter gathered up the reins and drove on, muttering to himself, and occasionally looking back to observe the buckskin flying toward the ranch house in a spattering shower of mud. Delaney urged her on, his head bent down against the falling rain. Huh, grunted Annixter with a grim satisfaction, a certain sense of good humor at length returning to him. That just about takes the saltaratus out of your dough, my friend. A little further on, Annixter got out of the buggy a second time to open another gate that let him out upon the upper road not far distant from Guadalajara. It was the road that connected that town with Bonneville and that ran parallel with the railroad tracks. On the other side of the track he could see the infinite extension of the brown, bare land of Los Muertos, turning now to a soft, moist welter of fertility under the insistent caressing of the rain. The hard, sun-baked clods were decomposing the crevices between drinking the wet with an eager sucking noise. But the prospect was dreary. The distant horizons were blotted under drifting mists of rain. The eternal monotony of the earth lay open to the somber low sky without a single adornment. 
without a single variation from its melancholy flatness. Near at hand, the wires between the telegraph poles vibrated with a faint humming under the multitudinous fingering of the myriad of falling drops, striking among themselves and dripping off steadily from one to another. The poles themselves were dark and swollen and glistening with wet, while the little cones of glass on the transverse bars reflected the dull gray light of the end of the afternoon. As Annixter was about to drive on, a freight train passed, coming from Guadalajara, going northward toward Bonneville, Fresno, and San Francisco. It was a long train, moving slowly, methodically, with a measured coughing of its locomotive and a rhythmic cadence of its trucks over the interstices of the rails. On two or three of the flat cars near its end, Annixter plainly saw Magnus Derrick's plows, their bright coating of red and green paint, setting a single brilliant note in all this array of gray and brown. Annixter halted, watching the train file past, carrying Derrick's plows away from his ranch at this very time of the first rain, when they would be most needed. He watched it, silent, thoughtful, and without articulate comment. Even after it passed, he sat in his place a long time, watching it lose itself slowly in the distance, its prolonged rumble diminishing to a faint murmur. Soon he heard the engine sounding its whistle for the long trestle. But the moving train no longer carried with it that impression of terror and destruction that had so thrilled Presley's imagination the night before. It passed slowly on its way with a mournful roll of wheels, like the passage of a cortege, like a file of artillery caissons charioting dead bodies. The engine smoke enveloping it in a mournful veil, leaving a sense of melancholy in its wake, moving past there, lugubrious, lamentable, infinitely sad under the gray sky and under the gray mist of rain, which continued to fall with a subdued, rustling sound, steady, persistent, a vast, monotonous murmur that seemed to come from all quarters of the horizon at once. End of Book One, Chapter Two